Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, you are sounding good this morning. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? It is just amazing to have every single one of you that's gathered in the auditorium with us doing church on this special Baptism Sunday, but equally so, it's amazing for every single one of you that has chosen to join in and connect with us online. You are just as much part of this family as every single one of us that are gathered in the auditorium at church this morning. And we're going to jump straight into our message today, which we've been in a series recently called Mask Off, and uh, we're at the conclusion including part of this series of talks. And what's kind of funny for me is that today is a great day of celebration. We have got a bunch of people who are getting baptised at both services today. And we've not just thrown this fantastic Costco Uh, pool party device down here for nothing more than fun. This is like, this is a big big deal for people that have chosen to follow Jesus today. And um, I know this is supposed to work like this, you know, on a Sunday like this, we're supposed to start the message and I'm supposed to say like, a load of funny things to get everybody engaged and that can like be the hook. And if I make you laugh, then hopefully people will will listen for a few more moments. But there's always a problem with that. And really, well, there's two in fact. Firstly, I'm just not that funny, so I can't really make you laugh. And secondly, if I did try and make you laugh, one of the lessons that I have learned through life is most of the things that I end up saying to be trying to be funny end up being inadvertently highly inappropriate. So I would probably close us down. So I'm not gonna try and do that. But what I am going to ask is that you just lend me your ears because my talk is going to be really short today because we want to make sure that we can get this uh, service turned around in time for the next one. And we want to really celebrate with every single one of those that are getting baptised. So I'm going to start in a way that I don't ordinarily start. So just bear with me. I promise you we're going to try and get somewhere in the end. So I'm going to read a short passage of Scripture that's taken from the New Testament, the book of Acts in chapter 2. And in fact, it's such a small, small passage of Scripture, you don't really even need to turn to it. You don't need it on a screen. You can just listen in for a moment. But it's a time that I would describe as being a landmark moment in the life of one individual and also that of what we now know to be the local church. So this is what it says, Acts 2 verse 14. It says, then Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now, what Peter goes on to say is in fact quite a lengthy passage of Scripture. So in the interest of time, we're not going to read that out, but I will give you a very brief synopsis of what Peter goes on to say. Peter starts addressing a crowd of people and the text tells us that he stood up with the 11. He was backed by the other 11 disciples that were all followers of Jesus. And Peter goes on to give a full explanation about who God is and about who Jesus really was. And he gives this explanation about how God, who is the one and only God, He was so desperate to be in a real and authentic relationship, not some kind of 
airy-fairy thing that maybe you think is so distant and so out there you could never really tie into it or connect with it, but rather God was so intentional about creating a way for ordinary and regular people just like you and I to be in full and real and authentic and complete relationship with Him, that the only way that that was possible was for Him to send His one and only Son whose name was Jesus. And His one and only Son, His life was given on a cross so that all the things that we've done wrong in life can be placed upon Jesus because God who is perfect can't really have a whole lot to do with a bunch of people who are completely imperfect unless somebody deals with that issue. So Peter in this moment, he addresses the crowd. He says, look, this is who you've got to know God really is. He's a God, he's our Father and he loves you so much so that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. Now, I'm not gonna basically, you know, over egg the pudding here. You get the gist of what Peter's talk was about. But what's interesting is, is by the end of verse 41, some 28 verses later, this was the result of Peter's talk. It says that those who accepted his message were baptised and 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, that's what happened as a result of Peter standing up and giving an explanation to everybody about, look, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, and if you believe in Him, you should believe and be baptised. The one thing that you could say about this talk, about this conversation that's happening from Peter, maybe on a platform not too dissimilar to this, the thousands of people, is that it was a landmark moment. Like it was never, it never really happened before outside of Jesus. It was a landmark moment that you could look back on in time and just know that time had been marked with the events that took place that day. And you and I know what it's like to have landmark moments in our lives. I mean, the moment you have your first baby, it's a landmark moment, right? The moment that you get married, the moment that you get your killer job, the moment that you qualify from uni and get your degree, like they are landmark moments. And we all want to be involved in landmark moments. And this for Peter was a landmark moment. Thousands of people believed him. Thousands of people responded to his message. But not only was it a landmark moment for Peter, it was a landmark moment for the church too. Because everything that we now see and hear and are involved in, in a local church in Liverpool, nowhere near the Near Eastern world that we found Peter giving this talk in, our church has been birthed out of that talk that Peter gave. I mean, it's a landmark moment. It was a message that for people, it changed everything. It was a message that for people, they started to believe for the first time that maybe God was not so distant and so aloof that he didn't want anything to do with them. But rather, God was loving and kind and compassionate in all of his ways, and he wanted a relationship with them. And yet, to me, it's kind of surprising that Peter's even involved in this story. It's fascinating to me to hear and see that it was Peter that stood up and gave this landmark address. For me, it's astonishing for us to read that the early church experienced a landmark moment off the back of Peter's words, because it could have been any one of the other 11, but it was not, it was Peter. And the reason why it's interesting to me that it was Peter that gave this landmark moment was that Peter, outside of Judas, was the guy that screwed pretty much everything up with Jesus. 
Because when you look at who Peter was and try and understand the context of his life, what you find is that Peter dropped the ball. What you find is, is that Peter failed Jesus in ways that none of the other disciples did. And yet it was Peter that was involved in this landmark moment. It just kind of doesn't make sense. I'm going to read to you a very short conversation that takes place way before this landmark moment in Acts between Peter and Jesus, where Peter promises the earth and delivers nothing. Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter replied to Jesus, Because Jesus was saying, you've got no idea, guys. All of you are going to turn your back on me. All of you are going to walk away from me. You've got no idea how you're going to respond. And Peter was vehemently, um, he decided in his heart that that was not going to be the story of his life. And he vehemently wanted to fight Jesus on this. And he replied and says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You could imagine him almost like being seated around the table. And he maybe started to bang his fist on the table and say that that could be the same for everybody else, Jesus. But as for me, that is not going to be the story of my life. He even goes on to say, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. I mean, imagine that, right? I mean, here is Peter. These are not small and insignificant and shallow promises that he's making. This is a big deal, right? And the crazy thing is, is that for those of you that know the story, Peter went on to break all of those promises, even within the very day. You know, he's there one minute saying, Jesus, I'd be willing to die for you. I'll never disown you. And then just hours later, He's hurled up trying to hide and disguise himself around a fire when a child approaches him and says, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? And Peter was like, nope, it's not me. You're crazy. I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. I don't know what you're saying there. I mean, that was how far things got messed up for Peter, which is just surprising to me that Peter was the one that gave the address in Acts 2 and made and created that landmark moment. And yet what's interesting is that at the time that Peter was making that promise and he was saying to everybody else in the room, you can all walk away from Jesus, but I will not. Like I'll even be willing to give my life and die for Jesus, even if you all deny him. At the moment that he was making that promise, I think that Peter wholeheartedly believed in what he was saying. I think that there was something on the inside of Peter that gave him cause to be convinced that what he was saying was accurate and true. And he was certain He was convinced that his character was fiercely loyal, although he was only around the corner from being strangely cowardly. I think that Peter believed in his core that that's who he was. Like he had this sense about him that I can be bold and I can be courageous. And yet that was not what he was about to experience. And yet that's what we find when we read the account in Acts 2. Peter had a belief about himself that was fiercely brave and courageous. He believed that almost like he had this sense of a divine call from God, that that was who God had called him to be. Now, I think that that's something that we can all connect with. I think every single one of us, no matter what age or placement in life we find ourselves, we all carry a sense of maybe knowing and feeling and believing like who we really are even during the times when we don't represent anything like what we believe who we really are. Oftentimes, we have these ideas in our mind's eye 
about who God has called us to be. Often we think that we're kind and we're caring, but our actions don't always demonstrate that. Some of you, you think and you're convinced in your core that you are a leader, and yet right now in this season of your life, you're not leading anything. For some of you, you believe in your core that you're honest, you're loyal, you're trustworthy, you're brave, you're courageous, and yet outwardly, that's not really evidenced. It's not the tree that is, it's not the fruit that's hanging on the tree of your life right now. And often, not only do we have those beliefs about ourselves, but we also have these beliefs about, beliefs about our future too. We have these dreams, these desires, these aspirations that not only can we be good, but rather we can become something good and great and significant too. We have dreams of being a doctor, being a designer, passing out from uni, having a wife, having a husband, having children, finding the perfect home, finding the perfect career. And you believe in your heart that you can achieve that and you can accomplish that. And yet, if you're anything like me, what you'll experience at times is this sense that, that you know who you could be, but there is this gap because it's not who you currently are. And that was the tension that Peter was facing. He believed that he was fiercely loyal, brave and courageous, but there was a gap because it wasn't who he was yet. Peter was believing in a version of himself that he would one day become, but was not yet now. And I wanna ask the question, how does that happen? How do you come from having a belief about yourself as being fiercely loyal, brave and courageous, and yet at the same time, only moments later, demonstrating the most strangest act of cowardice? And how do you fill the gap and later become that very person that we now know Peter to be as depicted in Acts 2. How do you deal with that gap? Because it's frustrating because if we don't learn the art of dealing with the gap, we'll start to lose our sense of purpose and maybe even that divine call about what and who we really truly believe we're called to be. So here is, I guess, just one simple idea. When Peter stood up in Acts 2, it tells us that he was backed by the eleven. It doesn't tell us that he stood up with the backing of the crowd and there were thousands amongst him, but there were 11 people that stood up, perhaps around Peter. Perhaps they were the people who he could lean on in his life, but there were 11 people that were all supporting Peter during this landmark moment. And when Peter stood up to talk, he did it with the encouragement and support of the 11. And yet it's interesting that the 11 that he stood up with the backing of were also the 11 that were around the table when Peter was making the promise about being fiercely loyal to Jesus and moments later not being able to live up to that and they knew of and they saw and they experienced Peter's failings first hands. They were there when he was saying, if everyone else falls away, Jesus, it's not gonna be the story of my life. They were there when everybody else was saying, hey, Jesus, I don't know how this is gonna go. And Peter was the one that just rose up and said, even if I have to die, then I'm willing to give my life away for you. They were there. They were the ones that were there listening to Peter declare, if everyone else deserts you, it's not gonna be me. That was the 11. And in order for Peter to be able to stand up in Acts 2 on that landmark moment and see thousands of people come into the fullness of their faith in Christ. He needed the backing of the 11. They had created an environment for Peter 
when he believed something about himself that was actually a future version of himself that he was not then, they created an environment for Peter to grow into that version of him. There was an environment that was created around Peter that said, even though I know of your shortcomings and of your failures and of your failings in life, I'm not going to allow that to become a reason for me to not see you walk into all that God has got in store for you. And in order for the 11 to be backers of Peter, it required this thing called grace. Now, grace is a word that we throw around in church all the time, but it was grace that the 11 needed to have for Peter. There was a grace that was needed for Peter that he couldn't be a recipient of from anybody else. He didn't need grace from the crowd. He needed grace from the ones that knew him the most. Grace is undeserved favour. What grace is in this situation, it's when a group of 11 people believed the best in Peter, even when all they were actually seeing and witnessing for a large season of his life was the very worst. What the 11 had when they had grace for Peter was a sense of being able to show care and kindness even during the times and immediately after when he'd shown and demonstrated nothing but cruelty towards Jesus in his abandonment of him. Grace is creating room for the difference of opinion. Grace is accepting you as you are and not according to what I expect of you. That's what grace is. And grace was what filled the gap for Peter that made it a possibility for Peter to have that landmark moment in his life. But this is the problem with the church, the church globally, and maybe even our church locally. Grace is the hardest thing to be a distributor of. In fact, let me say it like this. It's easy for churches, churches just like ours, to be the kind of church that can give out grace, undeserved favour, that sentiment of I'm going to believe the best in you even when I'm only seeing and witnessing the worst. We can give that out to the crowd. We can give that out to people who we don't really know the inner details of their life. We can give that out to the guy or the girl that walks in off the street with an addiction or a habit or a problem or has maybe grown up in the roughest part of town, which is not where you grew up, we find it no problem to distribute grace to people who are different from us. And yet the challenge is actually finding grace, not for the crowd, but rather for finding grace for those that are closest to us. Because what we see in the life of the 11 was it was the 11 that gave grace to Peter. It wasn't those on the peripheral of Peter's life. It was those that had seen Peter at his very worst. They were the distributors of grace. And he needed that because Peter believed in an image of who he could one day be, but was not now. Is that not each and every one of us? Do you not have a dream and a desire and aspiration of who one day God may call you and use you to be and become in your life? And yet oftentimes the challenge really hits the road when you act in a way and you are a way that falls short of what you believe God's called you to be. So what do you do? Well, you quit, you walk away. You say, maybe God was never really speaking to me in the first place. Maybe God, I got this wrong. Maybe God was never really interested in me. Maybe that was not who I really was and yet, what Peter learned was that it was grace that was needed to bridge the gap between who he believed he could one day be, although he believed that it was him now in that moment, yet it wasn't him at all. It's grace 
You see, the difference between the story of Peter and the story of Joseph, who was a character who we find in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, was the backing that Peter had of the 11. Because Joseph also had a dream about one day being used by God in a marvellous and significant way. And yet when he revealed that dream to those 11 brothers that he had around him, their response to him was graceless. They threw him in a pit. They told him that he was stupid. They told him that he would never become anything. He would never amount to anybody. And they sold him as a slave where he spent decades in a prison. And the difference between the 11 brothers of Joseph and the 11 that stood behind Peter was one was graceful and the other was graceless. And I want you to know, those of you that are getting baptised today, we're going to build and create an environment for you. We're going to be the 11 for you so that when you feel like the call that God's placed on your life feels a million miles away from you, we're going to be the ones that stands next to you and says, you can do it. We believe in you. You might not feel it, but we're committed to finding your purpose in life with you. And that's the response of a local church right there. A grace-filled, graceful church. And it's the same for these guys as it is for those that get baptised in our next service too. We have to build an environment that has grace, not only for the crowd, but for those that are closest to you. And those that are closest to you are the recipients of your grace. It's the biggest challenge for you to give that. And it's hard because you know really what they're doing. <laughs> you really know what they're like. You know about their language, you know about the thing that they're up to, you know about the way that they did the thing, like you know it all. You don't need to be gracious towards people that are doing nothing wrong. Grace is there to fill the gap during the times when people have this sense of this is who I could be, this is who I could become and yet they're not acting like that and they're not believing that about themselves. That is what we need to become Liverpool One. And you don't get to be a church that has a sign that says we exist because we're about everyone if we create a graceless environment. Because let me tell you, faith in Jesus is on the individual but the grace environment is on the church. And those two things are needed to help people who are coming into the fullness of the realisation that God loves them, that God's for them, and that His Son, Jesus Christ, was given on a cross for them. So let us be the church of the 11, Liverpool One, that stands up and that is graceful and grace-filled at all times. And now as my time has gone, and I promised you that it would be short today. Right now, I'm gonna invite every single one of those that are getting baptised to come right up onto the platform with me because we as your church family are gonna pray over you and we're gonna celebrate with you. Come on, let's give them a great big hand of applause. They're doing the bravest, boldest, most courageous thing. Guys, get yourselves up here. Guys, just move straight away to the end. Move right along to the end. Man, it is so good that you guys have made this decision. And this Liverpool One Church is our promise to these guys that have chosen to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Our promise is to them, we are gonna be the 11. We're incredibly proud of you. The decision that you guys have all made to put your faith and follow Jesus is amazing. You've gotta know this, we have built this church 
for people just like you, for people who maybe at one time thought and felt that maybe you would never have a chance with God, that you have a direct line into Him because of Jesus. And we've built this church so that people like you, like us, can join a community to follow Jesus together. And we celebrate every single one of you on this day. But church, can we stand to our feet together? Because we're gonna pray for these guys and then we're gonna get straight on with baptising every single one of them. So um, let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, on this day, I pray two real simple prayers. Firstly, God, I pray that for every single one of these that are stepping out in accordance with Your Word today, where You say that we are to believe in You and be baptised, Lord, I pray that You would give them, each and every one of them, a new sense of Your divine purpose that would just be placed upon their lives in this moment right now. That God, that their fellowship of You, that it would not be fleeting or glancing, but this would be a landmark moment, the landmark moment in their lives as they choose to put You first, as they choose to no longer live for themselves, as they choose to no longer kind of pursue their own internal dreams, desires. God, we put You first. So we pray that as these guys get baptised today, that Your Holy Spirit would come upon them in a new way for the first time in Jesus' mighty Name. And all of Your church family said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.